Hey, welcome to the Aviation Basics Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. On this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the requirements for the private pilot certificate or license, however you want to call it. It's technically a certificate, but throughout this, you're going to hear me call it both. Um, we're also going to be taking a look at the private pilot privileges and limitations as well. And then towards the end, I'm actually going to go over the ground instructor requirements and privileges as well, just that way. For any of you out there that are interested in that avenue as well, while you're pursuing your private pilot's license, that's more than available to you. All right, well, stay tuned to this episode. So now we're taking a look at the requirements of the private pilot certificate. So in this, we're going to be looking at Title 14 of the Code of Federal Regulations, which is aeronautics in space. Up underneath the Title 14 CFR, we're going to be looking at Part 61103, which is uh, eligibility requirements. So to be eligible for a private pilot certificate, a person must be at least 17 years of age, be able to read, read, speak, write, and understand the English language, receive a logbook endorsement from an instructor who uh, conducted the training or reviewed a person's home study of the aeronautical knowledge areas listed in Part 61105, which is a whole bunch of different things. I'm going to go over a few of them. And that's just basically um, the knowledge you need to know for the written portion and the practical portion and just to be a good pilot altogether. And then you must pass the required knowledge test on the aeronautical knowledge areas listed in Part 61105. So basically that's your written test. Um, So you have a written test and a practical test you have to do. And you have to do the written before you can do the practical. And then once you finish the practical, then you get signed off as a, a private pilot by the Designated Pilot Examiner or DPE. Okay, so then you must also receive flight training and a logbook endorsement showing that you've conducted the training in the areas listed in Part 61107 that apply to the aircraft rating you're seeking. Uh, Certify the person is prepared for the required practical test. So not only that you've done everything, but the instructor thinks you're ready because if the instructor doesn't think you're ready, you probably do need a little more time. Um, either just to practice some things or, or just to become a better, safer pilot altogether. Uh, and you also must pass, pass the practical test, which is what I was talking about you do with the DPE. Um, and then you must apply with the appropriate sections of this part that apply the aircraft category and class that you're seeking. And finally, uh, you have, must hold a student pilot certificate, a sport pilot certificate, or a recreational pilot certificate. So you can either get a sport or recreation first, or you can just get a student uh, pilot certificate. And all a student pilot certificate is, once you go get your medical from a um, from doctors listed for uh, aeromedical, um, you can go on the FAA's website and find one near you. Um, so you go and you get a medical from one of these guys, and then once you do that, you take that to your instructor. Uh, you and your instructor will sit down, go on the IACRA website, uh, do an application, um, submit the application, and you'll actually get a temporary student pilot certificate right there on the spot until they mail you your um, your permanent one in a few weeks. It normally takes, I don't know, about six or eight weeks right now, I think, is the turnaround the FAA has going on. Um, it takes a little bit of time. So now we're taking a look at the aeronautical knowledge areas required. So, uh, the general overview of this is a person who's a 
applying for a private pilot certificate must receive and log ground training from an authorized instructor or complete a home study course on the aeronautical knowledge areas of paragraph B of this section that apply to the aircraft category and class rating sought. Okay, so we're going to look at area B, which is aeronautical knowledge areas. So we're going to be looking at the applicable federal aviation regulations of this chapter that relate to the private pilot's private pilot privileges, limitations, and flight operations. So not going into all of these, but I'm going to go into most of them. So uh, accident reporting requirements for the NTSB or National Transportation Safety Board, use of applicable portions of the Aviation or Aeronautical Information Manual or AIM and FAA advisory circulars. Uh, all of that can be found online on the FAA's website. Uh, use of aeronautical charts for VFR navigation using pilotage, dead reckoning, and navigation systems. Radio communication procedures. Recognition of critical weather situations from the ground and in flight. Wind shear avoidance. Um, safe and efficient operation of the aircraft, including collision avoidance and recognition and avoidance of wake turbulence. Uh, effects of density altitude on takeoff and climb performance. Weight and balance computations. Principles of aerodynamics, power plants, and aircraft systems. Stall awareness, spin entry, spin, spin recovery techniques for the airplane or glider and glider ratings. Uh, aeronautical decision making process and judgment. Uh, pre-flight actions that also include how to obtain information on runway links at airports um, that you intend to use, data on takeoff, landing distances, um, weather reports and forecasts, and also fuel requirements. And also you need to know how to plan for alternatives if a planned flight cannot be completed, if any sort of delay is encountered. So this section here, I'm not going to go into very deeply. This is part 61107, which is flight proficiency. I'm really just going to give you a couple of them. I'm going to post everything on here to where you have access to, and I'm also going to post a link to um, to the uh, online Code of Federal Regulations so you can review it because there's just so much stuff here. I, it would take forever for me to read all of this. So we're going to take a look at this. So, um, so underneath flight proficiency, some of the areas of operation that you need to know. Um, I'm just going to go over a couple of them. Like I said, I'm going to go over about five or six. So pre-flight preparation. So everything that goes into that, um, you know, weather, uh, weight and balance computations. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, and we'll talk about that a little later on in this podcast. Take off, takes off, landing, and go arounds. Uh, ground reference maneuvers. Uh, slow flight and stalls. Basic instrument maneuvers and emergency operations. So those are things we're going to be going over. Um, that you need to ensure that you know. Um, so, uh, and now we're going to be taking a look at uh, aeronautical experience. So, for aeronautical experience, uh, for an airplane single engine, and this is part 61109, I'm sorry, for an airplane single engine rating, except as provided in paragraph K of this section, a person who applies for a private pilot certificate with an airplane category and single engine class rating must log at least 40 hours of flight time includes 20 hours of flight training from an authorized instructor and 10 hours of solo flight training in areas of operation listed in Part 61107B and 1 of this part. And the training must include at least the following. So I know 20 and 10 don't, don't, does not add up to uh, 40, 
but so they're saying you need at least 20 hours with an instructor and at least 10 hours solo. Um, obviously going to do a little more than that, more than likely, um, you know, with an instructor. So I'd go ahead and count on that. But uh, so what you must at least have logged is three hours of cross-country flight in a single-engine airplane. Also, you must accept a survivor in Part 61-110 of this part, three hours of night flight training in a single-engine airplane. That also that includes one cross-country flight over 100 uh, nautical miles total distance and 10 takeoff and 10 landings to a full stop when he, with each involving flight and traffic pattern in an airport. So basically, um, part of those three hours you have to have at night is one cross-country over 100 nautical miles total distance and 10 takeoffs and 10 landings. Um, three hours of flight training in a single-engine airplane on the control and maneuvering of an airplane solely by reference to instruments, including straight and level flight, constant air speed, climbs and descends, turning to a heading, recovery from unusual attitudes, radio communications, use of navigation systems, says, um, facilities and radar services appropriate to instrument flight. So basically you have to have three hours of what we call under the hood because you're going to have either foggles on or a hood on, which is going to uh, block you from seeing outside and you're just going to basically only be able to see the instruments so you have to be able to fly off the instruments for at least three hours and that's in case you know something happens while you're flying by yourself um, you know obviously this is, this is not an instrument rating but this does give you a good uh, understanding of what's to come um, in case you happen to run into some IMC or instrument meteorological conditions um, in which case you need to be able to at least keep the airplane uh, straight and level. Uh, you also need to have uh, three hours of flight training uh, with an authorized instructor in a single engine airplane in preparation for the practical test, which must have been performed in the preceding two calendar months from the test. Ten hour hours of solo flight time in a single engine airplane consisting of at least the following. Five hours of solo cross-country time, one solo cross-country flight of 150 nautical mile total distance, with full stop landings at uh, three points and one segment of the flight consisting of a straight line distance of more than 50 nautical miles between the takeoff and landing locations. Also it includes three takeoffs and landings uh, to a full stop with each involving flight in the traffic pattern at an airport um, that has an operating control tower. So uh, within your 10 hours of solo flight again five hours cross-country time within that cross-country time you have to have one over 150 nautical miles and then one of those legs has to be more than 50 nautical miles between both airports. And then again, finally, um, like I've already said, three takeoffs and landings to a full stop at an airport that is tower controlled. So, looking back at all this, I'm going to kind of summarize this to make it a little bit easier uh, to understand because that is a lot in one big gulp. So let's try to, I'm going to try to, try to, narrow that down a little bit so um, make it a little bit easier to understand so 40 hours 20 hours with dual instruction so three hours cross-country flight three hours of night flight um, with one cross-country over 100 nautical miles 10 takeoffs and landings uh, to a full stop while at night three hours of flight by reference to instruments three hours of flight training 60 days prior to the practical test also you need a minimum of 10 hours of solo flight five hours of that being cross-country time 
uh, including one solo cross country of over 150 nautical miles to a full stop at three points and at least one of those legs has to be over 50 nautical miles. When I say legs, I mean segments. Um, and then three takeoff and landings to a full stop in airport with an operating control tower. So hopefully that makes all of what I said a little bit easier to digest because I know it is a lot. Um, so now we're going to look at the private pilot privileges and limitations. Okay. So except as provided in paragraphs B through H of this section, no person who holds a private pilot certificate may act in pilot command of an aircraft that is carrying passengers or property for compensation or hire, nor may that person for compensation or hire act as pilot in command of an aircraft. So, as we start looking at this, so uh, we look at what a private pilot can do. So a private pilot may, for compensation or hire, act as a private, act as a pilot in command of an aircraft in connection with any businesses or employment. So up underneath that it says the flight is only incidental to that business or employment and the aircraft does not carry passenger property for compensation or hire. Um, also a private pilot may not pay less than the pro rata share of the operating expenses of flight with passengers providing expenses and involve only fuel, oil, airport expenditures, and rental fees. So basically if you and four people want to get together and fly to the beach for the weekend, uh, you still have to pay, or you and three people, so four of you total, so you still have to pay one quarter of that total expense because you have to pay your pro rata share. Okay, a private pilot may act in pilot of command of a charitable nonprofit or community event uh, flight. If the sponsor and pilot comply with the with the requirements of 91-146. So basically, if you're flying for a charitable organization, you can still fly even as a PIC. Um, a private pilot may be reimbursed for aircraft operating expenses that are directly related to the search and rescue operations, provided the expenses only involve fuel, oil, aircraft expenditures, or rental fees, and the operation is sanctioned under the direct control of a local state state local or federal agency, an organization that conducts search and rescue operations. So basically if um, you're contacted by um, a local police department or what have you and they need help searching an area, um, you can get paid basically um, uh, the, the expenses that the airplane actually is up in there. You can't be paid for your time, only expenses for the airplane. So a private pilot also who is an aircraft salesman who has at least 200 hours of log flight time may demonstrate an aircraft um, to a prospective buyer. I know that doesn't apply to many people whatsoever, but for those few of you that it does apply to, I figured I'd at least put it out there. Um, private pilot who meets the requirements of 6169 max pilot command of an aircraft towing a glider or unpowered, <coughs> unpowered ultralight vehicle. Um, so there's quite a few things that you can do. Um, there's a couple other things in here that I'm going to skip over for now. Uh, like I said, I'm going to include this into the show notes so everyone can go ahead and take a look at it once we're done. Um, also, the aircraft is authorized to carry not more than six occupants. Um, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back a little bit. A private pilot may access pilot command of an aircraft without holding a medical certificate issued on Part 67 of this chapter, provided the pilot holds a U.S. driver's license, meets the following requirements, and complies with this section uh, under the conditions and limitations. So basically, 
If you have a um, basic med, um, medical, and not one issued by a uh, designated flight surgeon, then this is kind of what you can operate. So the aircraft is authorized to not carry more than six passengers, has a maximum takeoff weight of not more than 6,000 pounds, and is operated with no more than five passengers on board. Um, so there, there's some other things up underneath there, but again, I'm not really going to go into those right this minute. I'm just kind of giving you a brief overview of what you can't do. So basically, as a private pilot, you can go out and fly as long as you're not getting directly paid for it. Um, you know, you can't get paid for it. However, under these certain circumstances, it's listed here clearly in Part 61.113. Um, you can get paid at least uh, for the airplane or uh, maybe the other passenger's portion of the airplane. Like I said... If you and some buddies get together and decide to go to uh, the beach for the weekend or go, um, you know, fly from Atlanta to Savannah to go eat seafood one day, well, you can surely do that, but uh, you do also have to pay your share of it. So if there's only you and one other person, then you at least have to pay half. Um, so keep that in mind when, when you decide to make these um, events. So now we're going to be taking a look at the requirements for the ground instructor certificates. So again, we're still going to be in Title 14 of the CFR, Code of Federal Regulations. And we're going to be up underneath Chapter 16, or 61 rather, point two thirteen. So under this, if we take a look at it, so one of the requirements is you must be at least 18 years of age. Uh, you must be able to read and write, speak and understand the English language, and other than provided in another portion of this, which I'll go over in just a second, you must be able to pass a knowledge test on the fundamentals of instruction. So part of this it includes several different things, including the learning process, elements of effective teaching, student evaluation and testing, um, course development, lesson planning, classroom teaching procedures. Um, all of these things are really awesome. And if you've never taught or never been in that sort of environment, these are things that you need to look at uh, because they will help you understand it a little bit. Some of the stuff, as you go through it, you may think you don't need to know it or you already do know it, but that's that comes with it. Um, you also need to pass a knowledge test on the aeronautical, the aeronautical knowledge areas in. And so for the basic ground instructor rating, it's going to be, uh, 61.91, 61.105, 61.309. Okay, and then for the advanced ground instructor rating, it's going to be 61.97, 61.105, And then for the instrument ground instructor rating, it's going to be 61.65. So all that is is just basically the areas in which you need to know and understand fully when you're going in to go take these knowledge tests. Uh, for the basic ground instructors, essentially just a little bit more uh, knowledge of what you need to know for the private pilot uh, license uh, written portion. Okay, so when it said that you're not, that you may not have to take the uh, fundamentals of instruction, there's, there's three ways that you can get around that. So one of which is hold a ground certificate, hold a ground instructor certificate, or a flight instructor certificate issued underneath this part. So if you already have one, then you've taken the fundamentals of instruction once before, or 
or you or you hold a teacher certificate issued by the state, city, county, or municipality that authorizes the person to teach an education level of seventh grade or higher, or you are employed as a teacher at an accredited college or university. So basically, either you take the fundamentals of instruction, you already are a instructor, you are a state certified teacher, seventh grade or higher, or you are employed as a teacher at a college or university. So those are your ways around taking the fundamentals of instruction, which if you already are an instructor, uh, you may have already taken it. So like for me, when I go from my advanced to my instrument ground instructor, I'm not going to have to take the fundamentals of instruction again. It's a one-time test. And then when I eventually work towards my uh, CFI and CFII, again, that all falls up underneath that original uh, fundamentals of instruction I have taken. Okay, so we start looking at what each instructor can do. So the basic ground instructor, uh, as a basic ground instructor, reading right here from the regulations, 61.215, a ground instructor... Uh, rating is authorized to provide uh, uh, ground training in the aeronautical knowledge areas required for the issuance of a sports pilot certificate, recreational pilot certificate, private pilot certificate, or associated ratings underneath this part. Ground training required for sport, recreation, and private pilot flight review. Also, recommendation for the knowledge test for the issuance of a sport, recreation, or private pilot certificate. So... When we talked about earlier, when we talked about uh, the written test that we have to take for the private pilot certificate, essentially as a basic ground instructor, you can sign off people to go take that test as well as for the sport and recreational pilot, pilot private pilot certificates. Um, so as an advanced ground instructor, well, let's look at that. A person who holds an advanced ground instructor rating is authorized to provide the following. A ground instruction in the aeronautical knowledge areas required the issuance of any certificate or rating underneath this part except for aeronautical knowledge areas required for an instrument rating. So uh, this includes balloon, gliders, uh, everything you can think of. And that is also um, commercial, ATP, um, any rating out there other than the instrument rating. So uh, multi-engine, which is actually an add-on rating. Uh, the also, so furthermore, the ground training required for any flight review except for the training required for an instrument rating. So remember, think everything but instrument as an advanced. Also, you need a recommendation. Also, you can rec recommend for a knowledge test required for the issuance of any certificate or rating underneath this part except for the instrument rating. Again, as an advanced, you can do everything but an instrument rating. And there's an instrument ground instructor. That's where you get the instrument part. So... As an instrument ground instructor, you can provide the ground training for the aeronautical knowledge is required for the issuance of a instrument rating. All right, ground training required for an instrument proficiency check and a recommendation for the knowledge test required for the issuance of an instrument rating underneath this part. And finally, when we start to look at it, it says right here, a person who holds a ground instructor certificate is authorized within the limitations of the ratings on the ground instructor certificate to endorse the logbook or other training records of a person to whom the holder has provided the training or recommendation specific paragraph A through C. So basically as, an, as a ground school instructor, you do endorse 
logbooks to show that they have completed training. Okay, so then recency of experience, and this is kind of where the regs differ a little bit for a ground instructor versus a pilot instructor. So when we're looking at ground instructors, uh, recency of experience is based on a 12 calendar month. Okay, so when we're looking at it, uh, the holder of a ground instructor certificate may not perform the duties of a ground instructor unless the person can show that one of the following has occurred in the previous 12 calendar months. So 12 calendar months from the time you initially get your certificate because they assume when you initially get your certificate that you know what you're doing because you just passed the knowledge test for the certificate. So after that 12 months from the day you get your uh, certificate issued to you, you have to show one of these um, four things. Otherwise, uh, your your, certif your certification isn't there. I mean, it's you still have it, but you are not authorized to teach. So the first way is employment or activity as a, as a ground instructor, giving pilot, flight, in flight instructor, or ground instructor training. Second way is employment or activity as a flight instructor, giving pilot,